It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- 3-1-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, April 16th, 2009. We're glad you're part of the program tonight. We look forward to your participation at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. This is a listener interactive program in which we benefit from your comments and the rest of the world listening on the Internet tonight benefits from your comments or your questions. So please join in on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is back from vacation last week. Welcome back to the virtual. Thank you, Jacob. Good to be back. You've used up your vacation days now, so we'll look forward to seeing you. Well, I don't know. You may be gone again here. Yeah, I've got to go again uh, pretty soon, but... uh, It's good to be with you tonight, and we look forward to our discussion on the virtual Bible study. We're always glad for these opportunities, and we appreciate everybody who's tuning in via the Internet tonight. We're glad you're out there, and we want you to participate. Jacob, give them our contact info there. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. The phone line's open. The emails are coming through cyberspace, ready for your comments or questions tonight. And we've also got a couple of other features that we're we're working on, uh, sort of new. We've been doing them the last several weeks. We've got uh, a chat room up. Uh, Jacob, tell them how to get to the chat room. Well, the chat room it can be accessed by clicking on the link that is at the bottom of your video screen there. That will take you to our show page. It will uh, close down, obviously, the window where you are now, open up another window that will have our video streaming live for you there so you won't miss the program. And to the right of that will be a screen that has a, a window where you can join in on the chat room and join other listeners with your questions or comments. We hope you'll go out and check out our chat room tonight. And also, we're, we're uh, weekly now, in addition to our regular email updates about our topics and our questions for discussion each week, we're also putting out Twitter updates. I hope I hope my my people on Twitter didn't get upset with you. People, you, you have people now. Yeah, you have people on Twitter, and and you didn't tweet to them last week. Yeah, sorry. And so they they may have gotten discouraged. Did they so. tweet back that you didn't tweet to them? Or? No, I didn't get any tweets. That's what I think. I think maybe they're upset. But okay. anyway, no, seriously, if you if you're doing Twitter. We'll, we're sending out updates each week on Twitter, and uh, you can uh, get those updates as well as an email update. All right. We hope you'll take uh, all of the opportunities to you, uh, your disposal there to comment, comment and contact us at the Virtual Bibles Day. We look forward to hearing from you. You know, we'll take comments or, or we'll take just an email from someone saying, I'm out here listening. Let us know where you are. We'd like to hear from you. We got one of those comments before the program began tonight. Yeah, our good friend and brother, Nestor Sanchez, down in Arica, Chile, called called us. He calls every once in a while via Skype, and he called in tonight to tell us that he was out there listening live in, in, uh, way down there in South America, uh, Chile, Arica, Chile. We're sending some of our winter your way, Nestor. Yeah, so, we're we're getting warmer, Nestor. You're going to start getting colder, yeah. uh, but uh, we're, Nestor's a great guy and a and a, a wonderful worker in God's kingdom. And uh, the church here at College View is blessed to be able to participate in his fellowship. And uh, uh, so we, we always love to hear from Nestor. What do you say, Hola? Hola, Hola, and uh, Dios le bendiga. Very good, very good. You've been working on your very Spanish. Good. Well, good to hear from you tonight, Nestor. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at College View. All right, Jacob, tonight our topic for discussion uh, has to do with Jesus and his claims, the claims that Jesus made concerning the fact that he is, or at least he claimed to be, the Son of God. We want to investigate that claim. There are a lot of people in the world who do not believe that. All of us who call ourselves Christians uh, have accepted that as being so, but we need the evidence, the proof. We need to be able to defend uh, the truth about Jesus as the Son of God. And so we're going to talk about Jesus and his deity tonight and the proofs of it. That's the idea for our study tonight. I think it's important. I mean, and we're going to see here right off the top uh, as we begin our discussion that it's a very important thing for us to establish 
Here are the study questions that I suggested earlier to our update list, both by email and by Twitter. Number one, what are the implication if what are the implications if Jesus is not who he claimed to be? In other words, if it's not provable and if we cannot say definitively that Jesus really is the Son of God, what does that mean to us? There, and the, the irony of it is there are people who are claiming to be Christians who are saying Jesus really wasn't what he claimed to be. Exactly right. And then number two, what are the implications if Jesus is who he claimed to be? What should, what should, how should we react if, if that is the fact? Number three, what biblical proofs would you offer to a non-Christian in an effort to convince him that Jesus really is the Messiah. So what are, you, what are the biblical proofs? And then number four, of all those proofs which you might offer, which one means the most to you or personally most compelling to you and why? So those are the questions. Uh, all right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com or email. Uh, you can email us or call us on the phone, and we have a caller from Ohio. Paul from Medina, Ohio is on the phone. Paul, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you. I just wanted to call in and thank you for your program, and I've enjoyed listening to it. I started listening to it last week, and I preach for the Sharon Copley Road Church of Christ at this time, and I just wanted to let you know I'm enjoying your program. Thank you, Paul. You're not any relation to James Buchanan, are you? Yes, I am. I'm his brother. Well, great. Oh, great. James was on the program last week in my absence, and so it's great to hear from you, Paul. Uh, good to talk to you. Well, thanks for listening. Spread the word up there in Ohio that about the Virtual Bible Study. I will. Thank you. Thank you for calling Thanks, tonight, Paul. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Good to hear from Ohio tonight. Yeah. Thank you, Paul, for calling and uh, for being out there. Jacob, somebody in the chat room is saying that they're having trouble. The video stream doesn't seem to be coming through uh, consistently. If anybody else is having that problem, maybe send us an uh a note, you people in the chat room, if you're seeing it clearly, um, maybe this one this one viewer is, is has got a slow connection or something. See what see what you see and tell us so we know whether we've got a problem or not. All right, thank you for that feedback. We're glad to hear about that. All right, now the question is: Jesus really who he claimed to be? He claimed to be God in no uncertain terms. Let's let's talk about that first. Let's um, let's see what his claim is. Now, obviously, just claiming something doesn't make it so. You can a person can claim anything. You got to be able to prove it. But but let's first establish the claim. Jesus did not shy away from the claim that he was God, that he was the Son of God, and that he himself was deity. Uh, he he claimed that by virtue of his claimed relationship with the Father. Uh, notice John chapter 5, verses 17 through, uh, John five seventeen through 18. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, they claimed he had, but he hadn't, but he also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus claimed a unique and special relationship with God, and uh, in that uh, he is he is claiming to be deity. So he made that claim clearly. Well, they they said that he called God his Father. They were upset because he was making himself equal with God, and Jesus didn't raise his hand and say, "No, you misunderstood me. I wasn't saying that I was equal to God. You've got me." No, he allowed them to go on that assumption. Uh, that he was claiming to be equal to God. All right, Jacob, look at the look at the chat room. They're telling us that we're not we're not working properly out there in our video. All right, and we need to reboot that. We will. Uh, we can uh, we can fall back to the audio stream. Hopefully, that's working fine. So if you're you're stuck on the video, try the audio, and uh, maybe that will uh, and, rectify and itself. While you while you, can you reboot that as we go, or do we have to? We can. Go ahead. Okay. Let me go ahead and continue on this uh, idea of what Jesus claimed. Uh, He certainly claimed to be God. He did that, as we were saying, by virtue of his relationship, special, unique relationship with God. He also claimed that when he uh, claimed the ability to forgive sins. And there was an episode uh, in Mark chapter 2. I might make reference to that. In Mark chapter 2, there was a fellow who was sick. I believe he was sick of the palsy. And his friends brought him to be healed by Jesus. Uh, This, I think, was the, you'll remember, is the episode where they pulled back the the roof of a house to let him down because there was such a crowd. And it says in Mark chapter 2, beginning verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man 
speak blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said to them, why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk, but that ye may know the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the sick of the palsy, I say to thee, arise and take up thy bed and go to thy house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. So here was a situation where Jesus actually, in this case, said he was forgiving the man's sins and then performed the miracle in conjunction with that to show that he had such authority and such power. Actually, the scribes were right when they said nobody can forgive sins but God. Jesus didn't deny that. He acknowledged that as being so. And so in this entire scenario, uh, he was, again, making the claim to be deity. Uh, and so in claiming to forgive sins, he made the claim to be God. All right. And furthermore, we see that he allowed himself to be worshipped. And uh, that would be something that would be wrong for him. We see other men, even angels, who uh, refused worship. But Jesus allowed himself to be worshipped, and therefore he was claiming to be God. In John chapter 9, beginning of verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, he said unto him, uh, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and he is, it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. If Jesus wasn't God, he should have uh, refused that worship. Exactly right. So in the fact that, that he did say, well, wait a minute, don't do that. You know, there were other episodes. Uh, one time when Paul and Silas, or maybe Paul and Barnabas in Acts, were, were men made an effort to worship them. They forbade them to do that. Uh, in the book of Acts, uh, yeah, this is Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15, 14. Acts 14 in the, in the uh, city of Lystra. Uh, they were going to worship Paul and Barnabas, and uh, the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, when they heard of it, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying, "Why, Sirs, why do you these things? We also are men of like passions with you. And so uh, they were saying, don't do that. We're men. Don't worship us. We're not worthy of worship. In, in the book of Revelation, John attempted to worship an angel. The angel forbade him to worship. But in this case, Jesus did not forbid the man to worship, uh, again, staking his claim to be deity. All right. We're still having video problems. So what we're going to do, we're going to kill the video and ask you to go to the all the audio stream, the audio only stream. We'll try and, uh, you know, our Internet's been slow tonight. Maybe there's some problems with our server. So we'll go to uh, strictly audio mode now, give you a few minutes. Uh, we'll kill the uh, we'll kill the video. Maybe that will uh, free up some bandwidth for our audio so if you're on the video stream, exit out now, go over to the audio stream, and hopefully you won't miss a beat. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We're going to take the video down now, and uh, we're only running on the audio stream now, so uh, hopefully you can catch us there and hopefully with, be without issue. We won't have the chat room. Uh, well, you will still be able to chat in the chat room, but you won't be able to see the video. So we well, will. I'm getting a, I'm getting a, uh, Anthony is telling us that uh, the audio only feed is not working either. Well, that we killed the video, so that should free up the audio only stream. If it doesn't, uh, we'd like to hear from you. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com, or send, send us your emails or give us a call if there's still problems with the audio feed tonight. We're going to continue on as if there was no problem with the audio feed. So just uh, go ahead and uh, keep on uh, plugging on there, Dad. All right. One more thing. We're, we're in the process of uh, describing Jesus' claim to be deity. One more thing, one more point we might make here is that when he was on trial, uh, he explicitly acknowledged that he believed he was deity, the Son of God. He made that claim, Mark 14, verses 61 through 64. It says, he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and said, What need we any further witnesses? Ye have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. So Jesus, they, they just straight out asked him, 
Are thou the Christ, the son of the blessed? And he said, I am. So in all of this, what we see, Jacob, is that Jesus definitely claimed to be the son of God. There was no argument from him about that. Several different ways and means he made that claim. Now, here's what we've got to decide. Is the claim true? Uh, if it, if it's true, then he is Lord and, and we should serve him. If it's false, there's a couple alternatives. If it was false, if it's a false claim, if it was a false claim and he knew it was false, then he was lying all along. Yeah. If it's a false claim, but he actually in some mode of self-deception he was honestly deluded. believed it. He yep. was deluded. He was some kind of a lunatic. And so Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is the Lord because he claimed to be God. Now we got to decide about the proofs. And so that's what we'll do when we come back from this break. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Take this time during the break to send us an email. If you're getting our audio feed without any problems tonight, let us know that. We need to know that we're getting out okay. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will continue, hopefully, right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Computers are good for lots of things, but there's no better way you could be using yours than to participate in the virtual Bible study every Thursday night. Can you think of a better use of your time? I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Computers are good for lots of things, but there's no better way you could be using yours than to participate in the virtual Bible study every Thursday night. Can you think of a better use of your time? I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. And the virtual Bible study is back. Another technical difficulty there for you tonight. Uh, I think we played through that twice. We heard from Nestor, though, and hopefully he is listening down there in Chile tonight without any technical problems. We did hear from some of our listeners during the break. It sounds like the audio feed is working Audio okay. is working better since we're not trying to push the video with it. So yeah, we've got a wrong. slow Internet connection tonight. Uh, yeah. We might have a, there might have a little kink in the wire maybe between here and there. Do you think maybe somebody stepped on it or yeah, something? Yeah, maybe it's got it pinched. Somebody, yeah. Somebody's playing tricks on us and like a, the hose, you know, out in the yard, they've pinched it in two. All we right, Jay, hearing from you tonight. All right, we're talking about Jesus, uh, about his claim to be the Son of God. Now, there are some groups, though, who claim that Jesus was either a liar or a lunatic, don't they? Oh, yeah, plenty of people do. Uh, I asked, the, the, the first question I asked was, what are the implications if Jesus is not who he claimed to be? And Jason has sent in a quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, many of you recognize that name, C.S. Lewis, a, a, a well-known author, uh, an Oxford professor uh, from you know, 50 years ago or more. He said, I am, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't, I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or a, on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would have be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. And that's from the book Mere Christianity. I think he's exactly right on that. You, you cannot say that Jesus wasn't really the son of God, but he was, he was really a good man, and he was an excellent teacher, and he, and he, and he proclaimed a high level of morality. Those things, just, that's, those things are self-contradictory. He was not a great moral teacher, and he was not a good man if he wasn't the son of God, because he claimed to be the son of God, and he was lying about that if he wasn't. All right. But again, there are people who claim to be Christians who say that Jesus was a liar or else he was a, a madman. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses are one. 
that say that Jesus is not really the Son of God. What are some other groups that come to mind, Dan? Well, yeah, like you said, the Jehovah's Witnesses would be one who they they acknowledge Jesus, but not they don't acknowledge what the Bible says about Jesus. The, they claim him to be a created being, not not the eternal Son of God that the Bible teaches that he was. Of course, all kinds of other religious groups, uh, the Jews reject Jesus, uh, always did, and continue to reject him as being the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. The the Muslims, and of course their numbers are increasing exponentially around the world— they they claim that Jesus was a prophet from sent from God. That, that's they got the same. Dilemma. They got the same problem. It, it, how could he be a, a man of God speaking for God and then telling the lie that he was the Son of the God? The Jews though believe Jesus was a great teacher, don't they? Well, not Just all some, of them. I think most of them, them would probably regard him as an imposter. Okay, but the but the Muslims claim that he was a prophet. They 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 claim that Muhammad was the last and greatest prophet, but that Jesus was a prophet before Muhammad can't be so. And so the world is really full of a lot of people who deny that Jesus was the son of God. Uh, and if you're going to do that, you're just going to have to say he he is uh, not a good man. He's a liar. And you're going to have to deal with these other proofs that we want to look at tonight that show and prove that Jesus was the son of God. Exactly right. Um, Pat uh, says, has written in, um, this is not the Pat this is not either one of the Pats that we hear from fairly often on the Virtual Bible. This is a, a, a different Pat from out west who writes uh, concerning what are the implications of Jesus, not the, who he claimed to be. He says, studying, praying, and teaching the salvation of Christ would be senseless if, if Christ is not who he proclaims to be. We're wasting our time. I think Pat's right. We'd be wasting our time if Jesus is not who he claimed to be. Keith in Lynchburg, Tennessee, says, depending on what you would declare is true... I would think I would have to think that we are lost in our sins if we are still under Old Testament law. We would be Gentiles, and unless we were able to identify the true people of Israel and what tribes they were, we wouldn't be able to roll our sins forward. And, of course, we would have to become Jews, sacrificing bulls and goats to the Lord. We would have to make the trip to Jerusalem every year to do this and would have to rebuild the temple where the Dome of the Rock now now stands. If it were true that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, think of all the souls that would have been lost over the last 2,000 years. All right. All right. Uh, thank you, Keith. So Keith says that uh, our salvation is dependent on the fact that Jesus be the Son of God, and, 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 and there is no way around that, and we agree. Right. Um, Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, says uh, uh, if, the, if Jesus is not who he claimed to be, then he lied. There is no Christ. We are lost in our sins. So I think that's correct as well. And we've got Don in Antioch, Tennessee. This is an interesting bit of history, Jacob. Don in Antioch, Tennessee says, Thomas Jefferson thought Jesus was a great moral teacher but didn't believe in his deity. For example, when he uh, he took the scissors to the Bible and cut out everything that suggested the deity of Jesus, there wasn't much left except what is referred to as the Jefferson Bible still available in bookstores. I didn't know that. So I appreciate Don giving us that little bit of historical uh, reference. All right. Thank you, Don. We appreciate that. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. It looks like from uh, the looks of our audience tonight that we are getting out on the audio-only stream. And we apologize for that. But your monitor is glad that the video is not working anyways. It's easier on your monitor uh, to not have to project us, but we're glad that you're out there listening in the audio only tonight. I, I think we are getting out, but uh, we, we've got an awful slow Internet connection for some reason. All right. Well, there are some other proofs of Jesus being the Son of God, and one of those proofs is his sinless life, the only life. Well, well, hold on. Before we do that, Jacob, let me make sure we covered uh, the, the second question. If Jesus, well, we can do this later. We can talk about the implications if Jesus is who he claimed to be. Yeah. We can talk about what we should, you know, let's, let's, let's do, verify the fact that he is who okay. he claims to be because right. we said he's either a liar or a lunatic if he's not. And, anybody, you know, his claims are really claims, and anybody can make the claims, and Jesus is not the only one who has claimed to be the Son of God. Oh, exactly. Throughout history, there have been plenty of people who claim to be to have some special connection with God. We've just shown that Jesus claimed it. Yeah. And now we have to prove it. And Jesus proved it many times in many ways in his life. One of them being the sinless life that he lived. The only one who has lived 
the sinless life. Yeah, Jesus was unique, was and and continues to be and always will be unique in history in regards to the fact that he lived a perfect sinless life. In John chapter 8 verses 45 and 46, Jesus said, "Because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convince, convinceth me of sin?" And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? No, Jesus actually put it out there. He, he, he laid the challenge before him. Which of you can convince me of sin? In other words, who can prove that I have ever sinned was the question he was asking. And nobody was ever able to do that. It's not as if they didn't try. In Mark chapter 14, beginning of verse 55, And the chief priest and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death. This is leading up to his crucifixion. And found none. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together and there arose certain and bear false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build up another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together. They were trying to. They were. If they had any uh, fault that they could have found in Jesus, they would have found it. That's they right. They were they, digging they, hard. They were digging hard because they were they were concerned that they were about to lose their privileged position. As the leaders of the Jews, they were in a position of authority and prestige and if if jesus succeeded in convincing the people that he was the son of god they were going to lose that privileged position so they were they were jealous and envious and trying very hard to find some fault with jesus something they could accuse him of and in that text that you just read jacob in mark chapter 14 the chief priests were trying so hard that they actually got false witnesses to come forward uh and and say i heard him say this or i saw him to do that but they did such a bad job of getting these false witnesses together. The false witnesses' testimony was contradicting one another. I mean, they just couldn't come up with it. They didn't have any proof against him that he'd ever done anything that, wrong. That tells you that there was not even a hint of any wrongdoing in Jesus' life. If there was any shadow of a doubt, then the, uh, they would have grabbed a hold of that, and that would have been their their case. But there was none. Yeah, these these were not his friends. These were his enemies. And so they, if they had something, they would have brought it forward. All right. So the the first proof that we could offer of Jesus being the divine son of God is his sinless life. Find anybody else or try to find anybody else who ever lived that way, whoever of whom it was ever said that they lived a sinless life. You can't find it. There is no such person. Um, Certainly Muhammad doesn't rank there. Uh, His sinful activities are well-documented. And, uh, and there's not even any claim. I don't even think that the Muslims make that claim that he was sinless in his dealings. So Jesus is unique in that, and his sinless life is proof of the fact that he is the Son of God. All right. We need to take a break and get this week's bullet point. When we come back on the other side, we're looking at proofs that Jesus really is the Son of God. We need to look at his miracles, and that will certainly prove that he is the Son of God, the miracles that he did, because those miracles backed up the claim And so God was giving his seal of approval that Jesus really is the Son of God. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. It's time for this week's bullet point. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. The wagons have been circled and the Indian attack is underway. But the captain continues to urge his men to hold your fire. He knows that every shot taken must find its mark. The enemy numbers are too great, and the ammunition supply is too limited to waste any bullets. He wants his soldiers to make their shots count. Do you remember those good old westerns? There's a spiritual lesson we could learn from that scene. Very often as we work together in the church, there will be points of conflict or disagreement. Sometimes these will center on points of doctrine, and other times the issue will be one of judgment. It's important to recognize the difference so that we can make our shots count when they are really needed. In matters of doctrine, we cannot yield to any man. See Acts 5:29 or Galatians 2, verses 4 and 5. To do so would jeopardize our relationship with God. See 2 John, verses 9 through 11. In such cases, we must speak up immediately and forcefully. But in situations where judgments must be made, where alternate courses of action are equally scriptural, we need to hold our fire. The New Testament uses the word submit, 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Too often we find Christians who are ready to blaze away at any and every point of controversy, even when these involve very simple and relatively unimportant judgments. When they do this, they waste shots that they should have saved for more crucial issues. 
We knew a man who griped and complained about every decision made in the church. He criticized the color of paint and the style of carpet. He had petty grievances about the Bible classes, the song books, and the way the preacher did his work. And he held back none of this. He was loud and vocal, and everyone knew his opinions. One day, a really serious doctrinal issue developed. He spoke up, and he was right, but no one listened. You see, he wasted all of his ammunition. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, my name is Preston Jackson. I'm from Valdosta, Georgia, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday night. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. And welcome back into the virtual Bible studies tonight. We're glad you're a part of it, and we're trying the video one more time. If you have any problems with the audio stream now that we're pulling the video back up, uh, let us know that, or if you'd like... Uh, you can just kill your audio stream and go to the video stream if you'd like to watch what you're hearing on the program tonight. Uh, we'll try it both ways and see how it goes. If there's any problems, please let us know. All right, Jacob, we're talking about the deity of Christ. We're talking about the proofs of it. He claimed to be the Son of God. Is there proof? We talked about proof number one, and that is that uh, he lived a sinless life. Surely, if you're talking about proofs of Jesus' deity, you got to talk about the miracles, Jake, Jacob. And uh, I came across the statistic. I had never tried to add this up, but something I was reading uh, suggested that there are 35 distinct miracles performed by Jesus as recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I had never I had never made any effort to try and go through and, and add them up. 35 but, is the number, huh? 35. Now, uh, concerning those that are written about in the New Testament, uh, in the Gospels, it says uh, in John chapter 20, John said, many other signs. In other words, these are not the only ones. 35 are mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John says, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So John said, we didn't write about them all. There's plenty more. Well, we, we think we've written an, an, about enough of them that it would give you the information, the evidence, the proof as to who Jesus really was. I believe he's right. The, the, those miracles are compelling evidence uh, that that uh, Jesus had power from on high. And he did more miracles, as you said, than was written in the New Testament. These were written so that we might have faith. But it says there that, uh, that we'd have an enormous uh, volume of things that Jesus had done uh, had they all been written down. Um, John chapter 21, verse 25, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, every one, I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So Jesus left us an enormous amount of proof that he is the Son of God by the miracles that he did. Yeah, and the thing about those miracles is that he, he did those openly before many witnesses. It wasn't like he went off in some secret place, off way off by himself or maybe with just a handful full of people to witness the miracles. And then he came back and said, guess what I was able to do when I was way off over yonder? That's not the way this was done. That's the, what we hear about miracles today. That, unfortunately, that's what uh, the, the false claimers of these days do, but not Jesus. In Acts 2, verse 22, when Peter was preaching on Pentecost, he said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. In other words, Jesus didn't try to do these things uh, secretly and then claim later uh, that he was doing miracles. He did it in, in out in the open where everybody could observe him. Certainly so. And uh, we have various types of miracles, not just a certain. He didn't specialize in right. one type of, of miracle, and, which and, would. Here's again some statistics. Now, this, I, I, as I said, I hadn't broken this down, but of the 35 recorded miracles in the Gospels, 17 were of healing disease. Nine showed power over nature, like calming the storm, for instance, would be an example of that. Six involved casting out demons. And three different episodes where he raised people from the dead. So Jesus did a lot of different kinds of miracles. You know, a, a magician, if this was illusion, you know, a magician has certain things that he could specialize. Maybe Jesus was really good at walking on water. And if, that, but was, if that, that, that was his special trick. Yeah, it was a trick. But if that was his thing, then he wouldn't have all this other variety of miracles. Yeah. It shows that he, is, he has power over all different aspects of uh, physical physical nature. That's exactly right. 
and it, it was so uh, impressive and so um, convincing, convincing and verifiable that even his enemies had to acknowledge his miracles. In John 11, uh, verse 46, and this is just after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. In John 11:46 some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done then gathered the chief priests and Pharisees a council and said what do we for this man doeth many miracles if we let him thus alone all men will believe on him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation so again these were his enemies but even his enemies weren't able to deny the power of what he was doing very impressive so his miracles so his miracles have got to be uh, uh, a very powerful proof uh, that he was the Son of God. And we have his prophecy. You want to get into that now? I was just looking. I wanted to see if uh, any of our emailers had mentioned the miracles. Uh, uh, I don't see any specifically mentioning that. So let's go on. Let's talk about prophecy. Some of some of our emailers mentioned fulfilled prophecy as a sign of his deity now if the old testament tells us about things about jesus that prophesies about jesus and those prophecies come true then certainly that would indicate that the divine revelation from god is giving witness to christ as being who he says he is if god is bearing witness in him through the prophecies that he inspired in the Old Testament times, and now Jesus is fulfilling those prophecies, certainly that's God bearing witness that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. Exactly right. More statistics here, Jacob. There's something on the order of 300, maybe a little over 300 prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament, and they were all fulfilled by Jesus. And I mean, 300, we obviously can't even touch the hem of the garment in regards to all of those prophecies, but just as an example... The Old Testament prophesied the place where the Messiah would be born as being the city of Bethlehem, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. We know Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but come Matthew on 2, now. verse 1. There are lots of kids that are, even today are still born in Bethlehem. But you think about how many, the percentage of people in the history of time who've been born in that tiny village is minute. So words, it rules out a lot of people. It rules out a lot of people. In other words, that, that put him in a pretty exclusive group just to be able to be one born in that city. There haven't been that many in the history of time born. as. But that's just an example. It's a simple example, but it's a necessary one. Jesus couldn't be the Messiah if he was born in, you know, uh, Jericho. Right. He had to be born in Bethlehem. So it is a prophecy that was fulfilled. Yeah. Now, there is something that is more notable about his birth. Go ahead. And that is the fact that his mother was a virgin. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we read about that, and that prophecy, and it is, comes true and is fulfilled in the book of Matthew and is foretold in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Exactly right. Um, I had a question come in by email, and I wanted to comment about this, Jacob, about the claim of Jesus' virgin birth. Let me read that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel and so forth and so on it goes. That's that's Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14. And this fellow was dealing with someone who objected to that claim that Jesus was born of a virgin, saying that all that says is that a young maiden would give birth to a son. But notice that Isaiah said it would be a sign. There's no sign when when a young maiden gives birth to a son. That happens all the time. There's 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 no nothing fabulous or or noteworthy about that. It's it's certainly a great thing when a new child is born into the world, but it happens all the time. But Isaiah said it would serve as a sign, and in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18, um Matthew records that this was done in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of a special sign, a virgin giving birth. Let me read this, Matthew chapter 1, beginning verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus was on this wise when, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. And while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from his sin, from their sins. Now all of this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken 
of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So the idea that that the prophecy of Isaiah is being misapplied and that all all Isaiah was saying was that a, a maiden would have a, a male son, a male child, there's no sign in that. The sign was a virgin gave birth, and that's what uh, was prophesied, and, and and that's what occurred. Yeah, it's no sign. Why, that's um, that, You're really going out on a limb there to say that a young woman would give birth to a child. I, mean, that, I could make that prophecy, and it would come true. Exactly right. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeu.com. So that really nails it on the head there, the virgin birth, but we also have more prophecies that uh, refine it as well, saying that Jesus would be the seed of Abraham. Right. And the seed of way back there in Genesis chapter 12. Certainly. And it uh, also be the seed of David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses and 12 again, and again, that narrows it down more and more. How many descendants of David be born in this time and in this place and in this manner? All of that being true. And then, of course, we, we're talking about events at the start of his life. We could talk about events at the end of his life, all the suffering and sacrifice that he would provide Isaiah spoke about that, too, very eloquently in Isaiah chapter 53, and, of course, we know that came true as well. So just some amazing proofs from prophecy. There was a, uh, a long time ago I read um, some excerpts, at least, from a book called Science Speaks, written by a man named Peter Stoner. And what he did was he took eight of those prophecies about Jesus, just eight of them. There's over 300. He took just eight of them. And then he tried to do some mathematical calculation of the probability of anybody just by chance fulfilling those eight specific prophecies. He, he chose, for instance, his place of birth and so forth, his lineage, and, and, and as we've briefly mentioned. And, and you could quibble with his, with his mathematics, but he, he argued that um, the, the, the odds or probabilities of one person just by chance fulfilling only eight of the 300 prophecies was like 1 in 10 to the 17th power. I mean, it was just an astronomically huge number. Basically, what he was saying is when you see all the prophecies and you see that Jesus fulfilled them all, there's just no doubt that he is the one who was promised in the Old Testament. Absolutely. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. All of those prophecies, again, the prophecies have to be from God. If the Old Testament is from God, the prophecies are from God. And if God is giving uh, witness to this one who he's made the prophecies about, then certainly he is agreeing with the things that he's saying. God is giving his seal of approval with the miracles and also with the prophecies. All right. So we've got we've got three proofs, sinless life, miracles, fulfilled prophecies. We're almost up to a break, Jacob, but uh, we might just introduced the idea of the resurrection the the resurrection is the ultimate proof that jesus is the son of god in romans chapter one and verse four uh paul writes that he was declared to be the son of god with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead so i think paul there is saying the, the resurrection is the ultimate proof that jesus is the son of god and uh, I think that is absolutely true. Let's talk about it on the other side of the break. We'll look forward to hearing from you while we're in the break. Again, uh, you might uh, let us know how we're coming across uh, the waves tonight. We'll look forward to hearing from you on that. But don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View's Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931-381-4567. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. 
Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're glad you're a part of it. I want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you're listening to us or watching us over Ustream.tv tonight and you have never been to our website, it is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Go to it now and find out more about the College U Church of Christ. We're talking about the deity of Christ, and it is fundamental to our faith. If uh, Christ is not the Son of God, then we need to throw our Bibles away, and we need to find something else to do with our time because Christianity is all a hoax, and it is a, a severe and incredible waste of time. If God, if Jesus is not the Son of God, take a match to your Bibles right now and get rid of them. Because it is all a hoax. Yeah, that's how important this discussion is. And we really need to be convinced in our own hearts. And we need to defend the truth to the many in the world who don't believe it, that Jesus is the Son of God. We suggested his sinless life, the miracles he performed, the fulfilled prophecies. Ultimately, the the, the greatest proof is the resurrection, Jacob. Uh, and Jesus showed the proof that he was re- resurrected in Acts chapter 1 uh, in verse 3. It says he showed himself alive after his passion or after his suffering and death by many infallible proofs being seen of his disciples for 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He showed himself alive to his disciples. There were over, Jacob, there were over 500 eyewitnesses of Jesus when he was resurrected. That's got to be significant. It wasn't just one guy who said, you know, I saw him. You might contrast this with, uh, for instance, Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith said that the, the, an angel came and showed him engraved golden plates. Nobody else ever saw him. You know, he said he saw him, and then he he, and, take his and, word and on he translated from him, and then and then they were taken away, and he was the only one who ever saw him. Well, that's that's pretty shaky. That's that that would be shaky uh, in a in a courtroom if you were trying to prove a point. But if you had five hundred eyewitnesses of an event who could give testimony in a courtroom. That would be compelling evidence. Yeah. And First Corinthians chapter 15, beginning verse 4, Paul names all those. Uh, we won't read all that, but you, you, can, you can see the listing of the various eyewitnesses of Jesus in First Corinthians 15, verses 4 through 8. Yeah, and uh, certainly this is not a hoax. You can't get that many witnesses to agree to a hoax like that and with the way uh, that it that it came off, and we'll yeah. look at some some proof of that as we get a little bit farther on. Yeah, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven questions at collegeu dot com. And and we uh, among those who saw Jesus after he was resurrected was Saul of Tarsus. Again, that's proof that this is not a hoax because Saul did not want to believe. That's right. He was Jesus he, was the Son of God. He was an enemy of the cross. Certainly. And uh, he, in fact, he was on his way to Damascus with authority to persecute Christians when he got there. Uh, but uh, he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was convinced uh, that he was real, that his claim was true, and it completely changed his life, and he proceeded from then on to to be a, a, an avid proclaimer of the truth of Jesus as the Son of God and, and the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. All right, and when Jesus rose from the dead, those who witnessed it saw something that changed their life forever. We read about uh, people who fled, disciples who fled, Peter himself denying Christ three times. But they saw something after Jesus' death that changed their lives. Yeah, they went from what they went from what I think you could fairly describe as as cowardly deserters to the kind of men who were willing to die for their faith. Something changed them, and it has to have been the resurrection. We read about uh, Peter. Uh, in Acts chapter 4 with the others in Acts chapter 4 beginning verse 18 and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus but Peter and John answered and said unto them whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God judge ye for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard now Peter was the one who weeks before likely yeah just a few weeks uh, well about yeah about seven weeks earlier had been a coward, had denied that he even knew Christ. He's standing before the same people who crucified Christ. Yeah. And now he has the resolve to 
say that Jesus is the Son of God and he can't hold his peace? What's changed? had to be the resurrection. That's the only explanation. Uh, the next chapter in Acts, uh, that council called him uh, again and said, Acts 5.28, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, You ought to obey God rather than men. Or we ought to obey God rather than men. In other words, you can threaten us, but we're going to obey God. And then they got beat later in that same chapter, Acts 5, verse 40. Uh, they called the apostles and they beat them and commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. You couldn't, you couldn't shut them up at this point. Before they were cowards now you can't make them be still what changed them now you've been duped in the past you've been snookered by people in the past dad who've cheated you out of money i have i'm sure you oh, have. oh yeah i'm sure i have and 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 you when you realize what they had done you wanted nothing to do with them anymore i mean you had been had you're not willing to die for that person who's really who's really taking you for all you're worth well, well, here, here's the here's the way I have suggested this before. If you think about it, let's say that the resurrection didn't occur, but Peter and the other apostles got together after the fact and said, you know, let's let's start telling the tale that the resurrection happened. We might get rich. We might get money. People might pay us to come and talk to their civic groups or whatever. And so they started telling it what they knew to be a lie, but they were telling it with hopes of getting rich or famous or something. But then instead of getting rich and famous, they started getting thrown in jail. They started getting beat. Some of them started being put to death. What would they have done? When the persecution came, what would they have done? They would have said, hey, it's not worth it. This is a lie anyway. Uh, I'm quitting. But they wouldn't quit because they knew it to be the truth. Uh, To me, the willingness of the apostles to suffer persecution, them being the firsthand eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection, is proof positive that the resurrection really occurred. All right. It changed their life. They saw something they couldn't deny there, and it proved to them that Jesus was the Son of God. How important is the resurrection? Paul answers that question for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning of verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is vain. Jesus had to raise from the dead, or else it's all for naught. And if Jesus did raise from the dead, then that proves that he was the Son of God. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, got a got a, a one of the people in the chat room Jacob that's that's showing showing a link to a news story that I I just saw the headline today and I wanted to follow uh, up on I don't, it. I don't think there's anything to that news story but you can you can mention it if you want. Okay, well the, the, there was there was some indication that uh they were covering up some picture or statue of Jesus at Georgetown University when the president was to speak there. Yeah. Is that not true? They were covering up all insignia there at georgetown university and there include that included some reference and i think it may have been some obscure reference to christ there but they were mainly just getting rid of any visual uh images or graphics okay. in the background so you don't think it was uh, i don't think it was you can take your you can have your own opinion on that i think it's somebody grasping at straws there but okay all right let's go to let's go to our emails we haven't been able to deal with all these emails that in which people were given what they think are some Powerful biblical proofs. Jason says, what proof would you offer to a non-Christian in an effort to convince him that Jesus is the Messiah? I believe that fulfilled prophecy is the greatest proof of Jesus being who he claimed to be. The scriptures speak of uh, God being among us in Isaiah 7, 14, and chapter 9, verse 6, and that he would be the one who performs great signs, Isaiah 29, 28, 35, 4 through 6. Hundreds of prophecies were fulfilled in the life of Jesus and his death and in his death and resurrection. So Jason says, fulfilled prophecy is the proof that is most compelling to him. Uh, Pat says the whole Bible proves that Jesus is the Messiah, but then he he gives a, a few references to prove the point. Genesis, well, he's got several listed there. I'll give a few of them. Genesis 126, Isaiah 7, 14, uh, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, Matthew 1, Hebrews 1, so on. He says the Old Testament prophecies are the most compelling to him because even though Christ was there for the creation, the prophecy was about his coming generations later 
everything happens in God's time. So again, uh, Pat thinks prophecy is the most powerful proof. Jacob? Keith says all the Jews and uh, and peoples that never have confessed him, oh, I'm sorry, no, his enemies said that he was the Messiah through their actions at the tomb by placing guards at the tomb, and he still rose from the grave, saw his enemy before the appearance on the road to Damascus, converting to Christianity was also very convincing. We appreciate that. Keith. And he says the tomb, he goes on to say the tomb was probably the most convincing. We should thank the Jews for the guard. Yeah, that they guarded and proved that there was no mischief they at the tomb. They proved it for us without any shadow of a doubt. Yeah, thank you says, for that. He says the tomb was probably the most convincing because the resurrection was impossible except he be the Messiah, for there was no one to perform the miracle except God for the Messiah was in the tomb. Why would God raise a false Lord as it would serve no purpose? All right. And uh, Jim in Mount Pleasant says the fulfilled prophecy surrounding his birth and death, none of which he could do anything about. That's no, right. He, you, couldn't, he couldn't make it happen. If it, you wanted to be a fake, you couldn't fake your birth. Right. You, okay. Uh, and the fact that he is an actual person who lived, that men gave their lives to defend him, that even his enemies stood in awe of him. No man, no man ever spake as he did, they say. He says that these all attest to these things. And so those were some of the proofs. And he says the one that com- is most compelling to him personally his ability to provide miracles and do so in front of the people. Nothing was staged. None could have done as he did. So Jim says the miracles. That's interesting. That's that's an inter- I'd like to do. I'd like to see a more thorough survey of that. Um, we had some who said they thought fulfilled prophecy was most compelling. Jim says miracles to him are most compelling. To me, the eyewitness testimony of the resurrection is most compelling. It's kind of interesting that that. All these different proofs are provided, and and they they appeal to different ones of us in a different in different ways. All good. All right. Now, what does it mean to us? We've got just a few minutes left. What does so, it mean to us that Jesus is the Son of God? If He is the Son of God, what does that mean that we must do? Uh, Jim in Mount Pleasant says, if He is who He claimed to be. Then the Christ has come and salvation is available to all. And those who are waiting for more are ignoring God's provision for our salvation. In other words, it's here. Take advantage of it. If if Jesus is the Lord, don't be looking for anything else. Salvation is made available through him. All right. Pat says, studying, praying, and teaching the salvation of Christ, this would mean following his instructions in becoming a Christian and trying hard to live the Christian life as directed in the New Testament. Thank you, Pat. If if Jesus is the Lord, then it, logic and common sense says you got to do what he says. You wouldn't say, well, I, yeah, I believe he's the son of God, but I'm not going to do what he says. That wouldn't be logical. But you're saying then he was he was true about being the son of God, but he was lying about everything else. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, and, Keith, real quick, Keith says all the Jews and peoples that never have confessed him, repenting of their sins and being washed in the blood through the baptism will be the will be lost for the last 2,000 years. I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I'm reading that right. Sadly, they He's will, saying the people who have not obeyed him, if he really is the Son of God... Oh, are going to be lost. They're going to be lost. Yeah. Sadly, there will be many people that have confessed him that will be lost through denominationalism and false religions because they haven't been washed in the blood. Uh, so if he is the Lord, and I think this is what he's saying, if he is the Lord, then we need to do what he says and do it just as he says. And this is the question that each of us must ask tonight. Given the fact that he is the Lord, we have to ask ourselves, is he the Lord of our life? Are we living our lives as he directed? Are we submissive to his instructions? Because he is the son of God, and he said that he would return to judge the world. Are you living as you should in respect to that truth that we've proven tonight? I think it's an important subject. I hope we've said some things that will be an encouragement, fortify our own faith, and prepare us to teach others. Jacob, we've had some technical difficulties tonight. We're not not up to par on our technical end. On the video end, I think our audio was okay, and someone out there said that they don't need the video because they walk by faith and not by sight, (laughs) and they don't need the video. So uh, that may be true, but we're glad that you're out there. Glad you stuck with us through uh, the technical difficulties tonight. All right. Thank you, Dad, for your comments tonight. Good to have you back on the program. Enjoyed our time together. Thank you. I, I hope we, again, were able to say something to be an encouragement to people. All right. And thank you for being a part of the program. If you disagree with anything that we said tonight, we'd encourage you to contact us anytime from our website, questions at collegeview.com, or give us a call at 877-381-4567. Make plans to be back ne- this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime... We encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. 
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.